everybody, Scott Burnside back for this week's edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, Pierre LeBrun. You know what I was thinking about, Pierre, is, is just before we get to our guest, some week I would like not to tell you who is going to be on. And in fact, I almost achieved that this week because you sent me a text about two minutes before the podcast began <laughs> wondering who is going to be on. And uh, some week it's just going to be a complete surprise and, and who knows who it will be. Are you up for that? Well, well, and the irony in that is that our guest was a good pal of mine and a guy I work with every single day at TSN was part of a million emails that I had going yesterday as it is. So there's some irony in that. Yes, uh, the great Darren Dreger joining us uh, on our two-man advantage podcast this week. Welcome, Drakes. Hey, guys. Thank you. And I'm as you're doing the introduction, I'm thinking to myself, um, okay, if Scott Burnside was going to bring in a mystery guest <laughs> to surprise Pierre Lebrun... Who might that be? Because you guys know me pretty well. Uh, I'd be thinking of somebody that you would have either zero interest in talking to, Pierre, or <laughs> then I'm, I'm, I'm really diving deep into uh, my brain. And I'm like, okay, well, who do I know doesn't like Pierre or that <laughs> Pierre doesn't like? And Pierre likes everybody. Truth. And everybody seems to like Pierre. So I don't want this to be a big make-work project for you, Mr. Burnside. So... Uh, yeah. Good luck with your mystery yeah. guests. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I'll send you a text afterwards, uh, Darren. <laughs> I'm sure we can come with someone. But you're right. All right. You're right. There are, and and in fact, if I'd been allowed to introduce you, I'd have mentioned Gemini Award-winning broadcast <laughs> journalist. And so I, there are a couple of things I want to get to before we get to sort of the news of the day and where the NHL is at, of course. But do you know one of the things I've always? And I don't think I've ever asked you this, Darren. So I'm going to ask you now as we're recording yeah. here. You began your career or one of your early. Um, parts of your career was as a uh, play-by-play guy, correct? And I yeah. wonder, what do you ever, like, do you ever sit back and go, geez, I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if, uh, you know, yeah. I, I could be doing it. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I, I do, Scott, I do. Um, and, you know, there was a time in my career where that was entirely my focus. I, I wanted to call play-by-play in the National Hockey League and. You know, even for a time at, at Sportsnet when I was over there prior to 2006, uh, I would do the odd NHL game. I uh, called a number of Ottawa Senators games, and what an experience that was. Um, not just for me calling NHL games, but my broadcast partner, my color analyst, was Mike Keenan. Oh, my God. And <laughs> it was hilarious because, you know, we're so accustomed to the great – color commentators and the analysts of today's game, right? Um, and name any one of them. They're all so good and, and so well-researched, and they pay attention to absolutely everything. Keenan was awesome in, in a not-so-awesome way. Like, <laughs> he, there'd be a goalie change, and he, and he couldn't understand how the color commentators, again, rely so much on their monitors, right? Like, yeah, of course, you're calling the play as you see it live, but as a, as a color commentator, as an analyst – you know, you're going back and forth on mute with your producer and your producer is sharing stuff that he saw, you know, in live play so that you can analyze and, and you can recall. Well, Keenan did not like anybody talking in his ear. And <laughs> even though, you know, I could see the pictures and what the viewer at home was seeing because I'm looking at the live feed monitor, he never could figure that out. So <laughs> I'd be saying, well, Mike, it looks like uh, so and so is about to make a, a goaltender change. Um, you know, what do you know of uh, the backup goaltender here and this? Uh, uh, I don't know anything. 
and he, <laughs> he would just stop cold. So, um, yeah, there was a day, uh, and I still wonder because this is going to sound real sappy. So I, I cut my teeth calling play-by-play uh, play um, in major junior hockey effectively with the Brandon Wheat Kings. And, you know, I rode the bus with Kelly McCrimmon and Kevin Chevaldayoff and uh, Wade Redden and, and so many of the great people that we now know in the National Hockey League. Um, but you really got a taste of that team environment, right? And that's unique. That is unique. And I can appreciate you know, being part of a team. Yeah, we all work as teams. We, we work as a team at TSN, and, and Scott, you're part of, you know, a great team as well. Um, but when you're in that environment, that that has its benefits, and it can be a special place. So there's a part of me that misses that for sure. Is this where I jump in? If you like that. Just, <laughs> we've, only, we've only been doing it this way for about 10 years. But anyway, you know, you want to mix There's it no up today, go ahead. Podcast, That's it. No. Just, whatever makes you happy. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We should, uh, before we get to the news, though, we, we should, you know, tell a story, Driggs, of, of how you got into the insider business. Because we've all, like, no one goes to broadcast school or journalism school to become an insider, really, or at least not when we went to school. You no. sort of end, end up becoming one. And, you know, Bobby Mack was uh, was a print, a terrific print journalist for many years between the Hockey News and the Toronto Star before he, he was really a pioneer in the kind of, of crossover he did with TSN. You know, I was a print guy at the Canadian Press before getting into television and, and then so on. Um, and, and, and yourself, I mean, you, you ended up, um, you know, at Sportsnet at the time and, and carving out your own niche there. Yeah, you know, I, and my path was was different to be sure um, because, you know, I did not go to J school, so I didn't have that to lean on. I, I didn't come up through uh, print journalism or, or any of that. I mean, I, I went to a broadcast college in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, um, and then dive, dove right into uh, to radio and made my way up through that. But... You know, when I when I left Brandon, went to Winnipeg, uh, obviously covered the Winnipeg Jets, the original Winnipeg Jets, before they went to Arizona. Um, I then, you know, jumped into Edmonton and had a very similar experience in Edmonton in hosting Edmonton Oilers games mm-hmm. that I, I had with the Brandon Weekings. So, yeah, I really got to know Billy Guerin well and Doug Waite well and Kelly Buckberger is a lifelong buddy of mine and Curtis Joseph was there and... You know, Ron Lowe, I mean, go down the list of the characters that played for the Oilers in 1997-98. But as you guys know, it's about relationship building, right? And and so, you know, those people got, they learned to trust me. And, and you know, I was hosting back then, so I didn't really need to use that inside information other than in teeing something up or, or you know, getting to whoever I was working with on the analyst side of things. And that carried over nationally into uh, Toronto when they launched Sportsnet as well. But then what I quickly realized in watching Bob McKenzie do his work closely was, well, wait a second, like, I mean, so-and-so called me the other day and, and <laughs> right. shared, shared this information that Bob is now reporting on or whoever it was. Hmm, wait a second, maybe I should start doing that. Uh, but we didn't have Twitter back then. We didn't have social media back then. So on occasion... Um, you know, through the website, uh, .ca, I, I would post a, a breaking story or I'd have somebody on staff post a breaking story and it, it, it became more familiar. And as you guys know, because, 
you've all been part of telling some great stories and breaking a lot of stories. Man, was that an adrenaline rush, you know? And, and I learned to like it. And so in the summer of 2006, I'm getting a bit long-winded here. Keep um, going. we know, got all kinds of time, Gary. <laughs> it's all good. Bob McKenzie called me. Well, actually, we had a conversation during that Stanley Cup final. And he goes, look, man, he goes, I'm sick of button heads with you. Um, if, if, if you have ever have interest in becoming a full-time insider, he goes, TSN is looking to expand the hockey department, and I think you'd be a terrific fit. And I, I was a bit floored by that because, Pierre, as you alluded to, I mean, Bobby Mack is the pioneer of the hockey insider business, truly sure. is, um, and best there ever was and probably will be. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, I have to give this some thought, you know, am I going to be okay at this? You know, I'm used to throwing softballs at Nick Kiprios and letting him knock him out of the park as a host. Uh, so I gave it some thought and look, what has become the norm now in our industry was an unfortunate and unexpected reality back in that day. Our good friend, Scott Morrison, who was the head of the hockey department at Sportsnet got ridiculously and unfairly ousted. He was let go, uh, and another good friend who is a colleague at TSN, TSN 1050, Jeff McDonald, also got let go. So our management structure in the hockey department, you know, had a hand grenade thrown into it, and there was all sorts of outlandish plans to to change things up. And as I look back, I, I can respect it now because, you know, Sportsnet at the time was in in battle with with TSN. Well, TSN was the best in the business, and you know I'm biased, but still think that we are uh, in many ways. Um, but they wanted to do something different, and so the job offer that I got in the summer of 2006, I originally said no because I just couldn't live leave Scott Morrison high and dry. Two days after saying no to Mark Millier, the boss, Scott Morrison got fired. So Millier calls me and says, uh, and I was on a golf course, believe it or not, one of the few times in the spring where, you know, you're normally recovering the playoffs, but somehow I squeaked in a day. My phone rings and it's Mark Millier, and he's asking about Scotty Morrison and Jeff McDonald. He goes, does this change your mind? I said, yes, it does. And then I signed my deal the next day. So that kind of was a long story version of uh, how I went from being a, a play-by-play guy to uh, a host, to a national host, to a hybrid insider, to uh, what has evolved into a full-time insider. And we, 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 and we share a similarity there with drugs, as you know, because yeah. uh, Bobby Mack has laughed about this over the years, too. I also turned down TSN the first time they came after me years ago. Yeah, and I, I think that's at, how I ended up getting it. You turned them down first, and then they went to Plan B, which was Darren Dreger. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know that it was I don't know that it was presented to me as being an insider. I was so young then, but certainly they around 05, after I covered the lockout in 0405, I mean, doors were opening for me then. That's where I ended up on the hot stove at Hot Night in Canada. But around then, TSN did want to hire me to come and write for the website, and, and the, I'm sure you know, help support Bob and in, in trying to break news. But I originally, I was just so comfortable at the Canadian press. I just started at hockey night and I just didn't feel right at the time. And I remember thinking, Oh man, what a burn bridge that is. I mean, Bobby was one of my heroes and TSN will never hire me. And then about six years later, I end up at TSN. So thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. I cleared my head and did the right thing. Well, before we are actually going to get to the news of the day, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. And I think a lot of people wonder, you know, because you guys are the touchstone and especially, you know, during this past 
year or so as we've dealt with the the most unusual of, of circumstances but you know the, you be, you become the face of hockey for a lot of fans on on both sides of the border and Darren I'm wondering you know if you felt at a time when you were in competition with Pierre before he came to TSN but but to me I've always been so impressed by the relationships that 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 you guys have whether it's you and Bob and Pierre and Frank Cervalli yeah. of course I mean, were there moments where you're like, "Gee, I don't know if I," you know, and you can speak uh, speak honestly and freely here. Yeah. Right? yeah. And be, 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 you know, if, like, were there moments like, "I don't know if I can work with Pierre," or you know, it, were there moments where, <laughs> you know, you had to evolve? I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the answer. Yeah. That's the <laughs> uh, I would say a flat no. Uh, there's <laughs> never been a moment uh, where I, I I've said or thought I can't work with him. Um, <laughs> Do we butt heads? 100% we butt heads. Um, but I, I also feel like that's what makes our, our relationship both personally and professionally stronger because we push each other when we need to to be better. And one thing that I know Pierre will attest to is, and I think it gives us a strong edge, and I've never worked uh, with our competitors um, in that same environment, so I can't speak to, to what others do. I know what makes our group successful and always had uh, have, and and that is again something that was initiated, um, and by Bob McKenzie and and a man we stuck to it is we work together. So when when you see us on the desk trade deadline day or free agent frenzy, um, you know it doesn't matter who tweets out the information because collectively, all four of us, including Frank in this have worked to the common goal of, of getting the information right. And if we're lucky enough, getting it out there first. And we've never strayed from that path. It's always about, well, let's cover the story in every way we can. And, and yeah, we share a lot of contacts. I mean, the hockey world is relatively small. Um, but I do think that, you know, insider tradings, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we try and, and bring a, a different and a unique experience. Uh, but I will tell you that when, so again, it, originally it was Bobby Mack and, and yours truly. And, you know, we, we had some others who were part of the, the .ca team and whatnot, but effectively it was Bob and I as, as the insiders. And Mark Miller called us and he said, hey, um, what do you think of Pierre Lebrun? Because we're, we're thinking of expanding our hockey department. What do you guys think? And both Bob and I said, do it. I mean, Pierre was a competitor, and he pissed me off a lot because not only did he, he break stories, but he's relentless. I mean, it was, you know, I might break a story, but then Pierre would write four stories off of that story <laughs> with way more information than I had initially. <laughs> and he was exhausting at times. So, I, I mean, that was my take on it, uh, was if we can expand our department and make us collectively better and then knock a hole in our competitors by taking away their strongest asset, then I'm all in. And that was exactly Bobby Mack's sentiment as well. So uh, thankfully, TSN at the time recognized the value of Mr. LeBron and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, best decision I ever made in my career. And, and it, you know, to your, your question, Scotty, about Dregs and I, I mean, it's no different than you and I. Like, so you'll... You'll know this. Scotty and I have worked together now for many years between ESPN.com and, and The Athletic. And 
we'll get in each other's face at times, Scotty. As you know, I get a little irate at times, but 10 minutes later, we're buddies again because we have that relationship. Same with Darren and I. We've never really gotten in each other's face, but we'll have a disagreement. We had one last week, in fact. And then it's like literally it never happened the next day. Like we just move on. Like you don't, because the reason you have these disagreements is the competitive urge that you have to be at your best. Right. So you, you have the exact same common goal. Yeah. You have the same desire to to make sure that we're that we get this right. And sometimes we just get our wires crossed, and that's inevitable because you know we're we're looking into a lot of the same stories. It's all good. Well, and look, you know, just to, to follow up on that too, like we've all played the role of good cop and bad cop, right? But that is an effective coverage uh, plan and strategy. So, you know, there, especially as we've gone through what we've gone through here of late, you know, and, and the discussions and decisions and decisions to come between the NHL and the NHLPA, um, both sides always have to be told. But because we have an expanded department, you know, some days, you know, I'll take the player's side because that's the information that I've gathered on that particular day going into insider trading. And, and, and Pierre and Frank will take a different direction. But again, it's, it's all for the common goal, which is making sure that the story is fully covered. Yeah. So I went one last story that the first insider trading I ever did with Bob and Darren in 2011, nine years ago already, as I was sitting down and getting wired up and trying to figure out where the mic went, (laughs) I hadn't yet put in my IFB, my earpiece, and Drake said, three, two, one. <laughs> I, thought we, I thought we were going live and I wasn't plugged in yet. I just about had a heart attack and I was like, okay, there's there's the rookie initiation. Thank you very much. Well, that's good stuff. Well, let's move then while we've still got uh, Darren uh, hooked up here. Let's, yeah, you bet. We, we are... We're, we have moved very. I, I, I got to tell. I'll pose it as a question then. I, I got to tell you. I imagine a, a bunch of different scenarios on how the league and the players might resolve um, the economic issues that had, for a period of time, looked like they had, you know, stalled the process of of, of return to play plan for 2021. Uh, I didn't really envision. Oh, okay, never mind. Let's just go on. Um, which is sort of if, if, if my my take on it. Darren, yeah. I'm, I'm curious whether you imagined this was how it might how it might go as, as we now turn our, our attention to the framework of, of return to play as opposed to the economic issues yeah. uh, with the CBA. No, I, I, I didn't envision this, Scott. Um, I felt like there was going to have to be some form of compromise uh, or resolution to it to move forward, and that didn't happen. Um, one thing, though, that I was convinced of in dealing with, um, you know, multiple sources on the player side was their level of, of conviction uh, and the fact that, hey, they weren't comfortable tearing apart the economic framework of an agreement uh, written in an MOU form on a six-year CBA extension that was just agreed to in July five months ago. Um, so I was... Uh, intrigued, certainly curious as to where the common ground would be found, and they weren't able to find it. They weren't able to find it. So my intrigue remains uh, the same because, you know, again, not to, to dive into, you know, the, the, the details of what could be because we don't know for sure. And, and frankly, when you get into the numbers um, and crunching of percentages and deferrals and escrow and all that, it can be 
eye glazing for for all of our listeners. So I, I don't want to do that too much. But I don't think that the, the simple solution answer to it, though, is, well, does it matter if they, you know, don't find uh, a way to make the system whole within the, the six-year framework of the existing CBA? I, I mean, more and more, I'm, I'm hearing both sides talk about that reality that the, the payback from a player perspective isn't going to be this year, of course, even though they're paying 20% escrow and 10% deferral. It's not going to be next year. It's not going to be the year after that, the year after that, probably not the year after that. So I wonder from a younger player standpoint and the players who are going to make their way into the National Hockey League in the not-too-distant future here, what's it going to look like financially for them five years from now, ten years from now? So that's kind of what uh, intrigues me at this point with their relationship. Well, the impact very simply is a flat cap for many years, <laughs> not just for the years that are in the MOU, but beyond that, I think. So that's which if you're a UFA in a couple of years will impact you. That's that's the reality of it. The the other thing that that interests me in, in all of this um, is and, you know, we talked about this yesterday, but I don't know that people just don't want to hear it because I, I the owners still have to vote at some point here over the next week or so. And usually if the commissioner wants something, he, he gets it. And, and I think he wants a season. So I would imagine that he'll do all he can to get the two thirds that he needs. But because there is temporary, temporary realignment on the table, there has to be with the all cane division. Uh, as per the NHL bylaws, that requires a board of governors vote and it requires two thirds majority. Uh, as you guys both know, there are owners who aren't happy. And, you know, one thing I've learned from all the lockouts that we've covered over the years is you just always be careful not to think if you've spoken to four owners that it gives you a trend for 31. It's very, very delicate that way. You got to yeah. be careful. Yeah. But there are clearly some owners who aren't happy. And I'm just so curious. Like, this is not a rubber stamp. I do think they'll vote yes. I think he'll get his two thirds, but I don't know that it's a slam dunk. And that's what I find interesting. Like, are there enough owners who are going to say, you know what, yeah. players didn't budge. Uh, I don't want to have a season without fans. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't have the answer for you, but I'm saying this is not just a do what I tell you vote this time around. This will be owners voting with their conscience. I think. Darren, is it? Is it? Is it that dire? I mean, is it that we may get to a point where that, that vote doesn't go through? It, and Pierre alluded to it, but it, it's it's unthinkable, really, that anything should come before the Board of Governors that isn't already a, a guaranteed, if not, you know, 100 percent support, 99.5. Do you do you sense do you share that sense of pessimism, pessimism that it may not be a cut and dried vote? Well, I do to a degree, um, but look, one thing that we know and we've experienced historically with Commissioner Bettman, he knows exactly what that vote is going to be before he goes into it, right? And and he will have done, um, is campaigning the right word? Um, certainly his due diligence, no question about that. And I know that he has been on the phone um, and, and probably with, you know, Zoom chats, et cetera, with a number of owners across the National Hockey League. Um, and, and this isn't recent, this is over the last number of days. Uh, first of all, I'm told, asking some of these owners, okay, what is your top priority here? And that probably would have been the conversation last weekend, 
probably expecting that Don Fear and the Players Association were going to come forward with a proposal, which they made on Sunday. So he asked a number of owners, what's your top priority? But more importantly, fellas, he asked, what are you willing to live with? You know, what are you willing to, to live with and accept, you know, to, to get the 2021 season underway? Um, I don't know what some of the answers were. I, I can tell you that there are still a number, we know this, there are a number of militants among that ownership group that still exist. Are there enough to not get the two-thirds vote? Uh, I don't know that to be true. I, 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 I mean, I, nothing would be surprise me at this point other than I would bet that Commissioner Batman knows exactly what that vote is is going to look like moving forward here. Yeah, and I think part of the way that the commissioner, and you're right, he's going to work the room hard here, and he is, as we know right now, and I think part of the way that he's going to try to sway enough yes votes, and at the end of the day, it might be a resounding yes by the time he's done working the room, is that they want to get this USTV deal done. They don't want to have a carryover of this USTV deal for another year, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and that's huge for them because they've got an important negotiation and a new deal coming. And if you if you don't have a season this year, then the USTV deal carries for another year. So that'll be a big part of, of Batman's sales job to these owners. But I mean, listen, these are imperfect times uh, for both sides. Uh, you know, of the big four, this is the hardest year uh, for the NHL compared to the other sports because of the lack of TV revenue in comparison to the NBA. Yeah. You know, I get this question all the time. Well, why is the NBA, why was the NBA so quick to announce they're coming back? Yeah. Well, because they don't need fans in the stands. No. Yeah. So it's not even, that's no longer a comparison. That shouldn't even be brought up. It's apples and oranges. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think we'll have a season, but it really is about just keeping the brand in sight getting through the TV deal and just hoping for normalcy yeah. next fall when Seattle comes in. That's what this is all about. Well, and, and look, guys, Pierre, you and I and, and Frank in our group swapped emails on this in preparation for insider trading on Tuesday. But, you know, let's not overlook the elephant in the room. And that's COVID. Yeah. Right. right. You know, like, and, oh, and, but. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I feel like. As a media in general, I, I had this conversation on Montreal Radio this morning, but I, it's not like we're overlooking it. I think to some degree we're all fatigued by it because we, we live it hour by hour in our personal lives. And, you know, how much of it can you stomach when it drifts over into your professional coverage as well? But, again, just to play the role of Captain Obvious, I mean, there are parts of California where you're not supposed to walk outside. You know, like, right. and, and, and look, things are happening in Canada that aren't great. I watched a national newscast here in Canada last night where the projection in Alberta is up to 4,000 cases per day by Christmas. Um, I don't know, man. I, I need somebody with some scientific chops here to explain to me how you can just kick the door open to as many people as it's going to take to safely house an NHL training camp in Edmonton or in Calgary. Uh, and, and because it goes beyond, you know, the, the obvious bubble effect of, you know, hopefully, hopefully what we're going to see again uh, with the World Junior Tournament, you know, upcoming. Uh, but look around the world and, and then look around North America if we want to just drill it down to what's happening, um, you know, specific to the National Hockey League. I, I, I think the NHL has done a real good job of not ringing the alarm bells on a day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month basis. 
but none of us are naive enough to think that it isn't top of mind for Commissioner Bettman, for Don Fear, and all of the league's constituents because they can do all the planning in the world. They can do all the planning they want. Is it going to be sensible to bring the game back in January as planned if it literally is a tire fire specific to COVID-19, vaccine or to no vaccine? Totally. And I, I put out that tweet early yesterday because I could sense hockey fans getting so giddy and I don't blame them. I want hockey back as well. But I had that tweet, Drags, because I said, listen, just so we're all on the same page here, this could still be delayed beyond January 13th yeah. because, yeah. I, I mean, who knows for sure when, when they can launch. And I guess just to speak from both sides of my mouth, though, I, I guess the one thing I would ask is, if the health experts are telling us that January and February are both going to be a complete gong show in terms of how bad COVID's going to be, I mean, what's the point of what's the difference between January thirteenth and February first? Right. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. So you're either playing. I, I almost feel like the decision is not so much to keep delaying and keep delaying. It's almost whether are you playing or not. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, you just got to open and try to forge ahead, like the NFL is. But again, football is not a perfect example. They they only play once a week. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they've got a lot less to deal with, even though their rosters are way bigger. The fact that you only play once a week, the fact that the NHL and the NBA are going to have multiple games for, per week, of course, uh, really augments your exposure to, to, to these issues. So it's And, and it's we are going to see positive tests, right? I mean, it, again, for sure. grossly naive not to expect, you know, when, when players get back to their club cities, there are going to be positive results. Uh, that's just the reality of the world that we live in. And we kind of scraped the surface of this, Scott, last night on Insider Trading. But there, there is a bit of a hot potato item that has to get wrestled with by the NHL and the Players Association. And, um, you know, I know, Pierre, you did some reporting on this, so it's twofold. It, it is the opt-out language that has to be developed here. They had an opt-out for players and personnel in return to play, and a number of players embraced it, including, you know, Travis Hamannick, of course. Um, but one that becomes more of an ethical issue is a mandatory vaccination. Um, that one is going to be interesting for me. Now, I've had this conversation with a variety of doctors, only from a, a personal perspective, right? You know, I'm 52 years old. As soon as I can get that vaccine in my hands, I'm not going to jump a queue, but I'm getting the vaccine. That's just a personal sure. decision that I've yeah, made. For sure. But we also know that... A number of NHL players are machines. They measure everything meticulously that goes into their body, and not to get too gross, but that comes out of their body. So ethically speaking, are they going to be okay with a mandatory vaccination without knowing if there are going to be any sort of long-term ill effects to that vaccine? And the medical people are telling us there, there shouldn't be, there won't be, but... My sense is the NHL's approach is going to be, well, we made testing mandatory and this will likely fit into that category. I don't know. I'm not so well, sure. Well, and there's also, there's also in society anti-vaxxers, <laughs> which has always boggled my mind, but I'm also not a doctor, so I got to be careful that I don't get on a pedestal here. Yeah. But yeah. there's also that community, right? Yeah. People well, that just don't believe in vaccines. Well, and, the, if, and I... I can't remember the exact number offhand, but I know certainly in the United States, the feeling for the vaccine to to have the desired effect of of basically bringing 
COVID-19 to, to Bay is somewhere around 80%. So you, you, you do need buy-in from a vast majority yeah. of your population. Yeah, right. And Darren, your, your question's a good one. So we've, what if you have, you know, to me, one or two outliers, does it make a difference? But you're right, maybe there is a yeah. bigger percentage of hockey within that hockey playing community that might be reticent. And how does the Players Association line up on that um, vis-a-vis, is it going to be mandatory or not? And, and you're right, these right. are, yeah. again, the many bricks that are going to go into building the return to play, they're... they're there, there, yeah. there are a lot of unknowns out there. So, yeah, no question, and that's why you know. Again, when we, we're asked, and I know you guys are, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't know how many calls I, I, I fielded on Tuesday from general managers, <laughs> who, you know, they're going to learn more, you know, f- coming out of a board of governors um, conference call. There'll be some direction that's provided from the National Hockey League, but, you know, these guys are, are they're not asking those questions. I wouldn't, I, I would say, but. But there's so much that the league and the PA has to get through before it, it gets to that vote. So, you know, here's hoping that they can get through to it. So then we can again focus on COVID and, you know, the impact that it might have eventually on the start of the season. Yeah. All right. Darren, I'm going to let you go. This has been outstanding. And I had one final question. I, you know, I jumped yeah, yeah. right in on top of Pierre. So yeah. why, when, because I watch Insider Trading uh, every yeah. episode, why is your background so much nicer than Pierre's? What's up with that? Do you, is that a, <laughs> is that a, is that no. a seniority thing? Or why, no. why is it? Why is that? No, you know what it is? I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's because Pierre Lebrun spends too much money on wine. So he couldn't afford. <laughs> the, the, well, the, I, that is true. <laughs> No, that I, is true. You know what? There's probably uh, see. I, I'm a bit of an open book, and I, I'm probably I disclose too much of my personal life and, and all of that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have anything that I wouldn't put on that shelf. Uh, I put the Gemini up there, and I've actually lifted it up a shelf, so it's out <laughs> of the shot now um, because it, it was over the top. Who's kidding oh, who? On. But it annoyed <laughs> James Duthie, and anything I can do to annoy James Duthie. Uh, <laughs> I'm all well, because, because because he's got seventy four of them. Yeah, is that, is yeah. That he's, he, well, he's, he's probably pushing a dozen. But I, so I'm okay with putting the pictures and the books and everything on that desk. And hey, there's there's some creepy people out there, Scotty. I mean, they zoom into that picture, and like I've got a picture of my wife and I that's probably fifteen years old up there. And I guarantee you, there's some creepy individuals who have zoomed in on my wife and going, Jesus, did he outkick his coverage? You know, that kind of stuff. See, LeBron is way more private than I am. I'm, I'm too I'm, much of an open book at times. Yeah. I'm a min- minimalist. <laughs> I have the, the, the Gretzky photo and the uh, Team Canada photo from one of the men's worlds that I covered, and that's all I need. I don't need anything else back there. I mean, I'd love to put a Dallas Cowboys helmet back there. Yeah. In fact, especially now, I love when they're terrible and everyone, I had like 47 text messages last <laughs> night. I love it. It just galvanizes my loyalty when things are rocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they want hockey only in our background. Uh, so. True. All right. Darren, listen, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, uh, next time, we won't tell Pierre you're coming on, and it will be the surprise. But uh, it's been it's a treat, really, to have you on, to chat, and uh, honestly look forward to the moment when we will – share a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or whatever it is in person in a rink somewhere down the road. So um, I hope hope you and your family stay healthy and, and stay safe, my friend. Well, I appreciate the interest. The next time I come on, if I can be the mystery guest, <laughs> guess who I'm going to be? I'll give you a sample. 
Hey, you know what I'm here in my tree stand and I'm looking for a big old white tail and I want to know if my buddies uh, Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside and Darren Drager haven't talked to you guys in a long time, but I can't wait to get back on an NHL bench. There you go. Mr. Babcock. That's as good as it gets. You're going to get in trouble if he hears that, by the way. That's okay. It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, that's good. Anyway, thank you very much, Darren, and uh, and let's do this again sometime. And I, I mentioned, I should have mentioned, you and Ray Ferraro have a a podcast. If you ever want to call we Pierre do. and I, um, it's you don't have a name as cool as Two Man Advantage, but it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah, Ray and Dregs is really difficult one to come up with, but uh, we're we're in a bit of a hiatus, but it's back online, uh, I believe, next week. So looking forward to it. All right. Well, take care. Thank you very hey guys. much, Darren. Yep. Be well. All right, my friend. Uh, I, that was almost a surprise because you didn't really know. But uh, we were going to take a quick break, then uh, come back. You and I will wrap up this edition of Two Man Advantage. And that way, uh, when we come back, if you want to slag Darren Dreger, you can because he won't be here to defend himself. But uh, do not go away. We'll be right back. All right, Pierre. So here's your chance just before we move on. Any any Dreg's tale? You want to you wanna give a – you know, if there's something that – sparked your memory or whatever during our conversation that was it uh, was a ton of fun to to catch up with darren so that was that was fun yeah i know all good man it's been amazing working with him and just like it has been with you no no negative tales i wish i had one but really uh, it's all been good it's all been good all right so okay so we uh we touched on you know some of the you know the many obstacles that that, that lie ahead if we're going to hit a january 13th uh, start date. Um, is there one area, you know, we talked a little bit about the vaccine and the testing and opting out. Is there an, is there an element that you're particularly focused on Pierre and whether it's the schedule itself or training camp, or is there something that you're like, okay, this is, I'm really curious to see how this domino falls because it's going to be important to, you know, getting us back onto the ice. Roster size have been intriguing. I talked about yeah. that uh, yeah. both in my piece yesterday for the Athletic and on Insider Trading. But they're going to have to expand the rosters. The NHL has made a proposal to that uh, to the NHLPA, and and as of yesterday, was awaiting feedback. Uh, the PA, one of the reasons the PA was waiting to get back to them, I think, is the PA talked about this on its executive board call yesterday. Um, and so you're going to have to have expanded rosters, uh, potentially a taxi squad. And how does that affect the AHL? And how's the AHL try to have a season, right? They're, they're hoping to have a season February 5th. I don't think they'll have a season with all their teams. I think it's going to be harder on some of the independently owned teams that don't that are owned by NHL teams. All of that interests me because, you know, when you talk to a general manager, the continued development of their younger prospects who are meant to be in the AHL this year, that's almost, that's almost more important than what the NHL is going to look like this year for them because they know what they have in their pros. You know what I mean? But there's a lot of anxiety about not having a wasted year or a really impactful year negatively to some of their top prospects who can't go back to college or junior, uh, maybe can't play in Europe and need a, you know, need some kind of HL experience this year. So that, so that to me is intriguing. Uh, and we're not talking a ton of players that way. It's probably a handful in each organization, right? But, you know, once we see the roster rules for this shortened season, it'll be interesting to me to see how teams may decide, you know what, we'll, we'll keep that player actually with us, get him some NHL action, but not every game, but keep him in our expanded roster, right? 
I mean, how, how do you make those decisions? Yeah. And, and is there a lot of up and down that way to make sure no one gets stale? Right. Well, and I mean, the, all of the, you know, the economic spinoff of that, if you're going to expand the roster, um, you know, how does that, you know, how does that affect the economics of the game, right? Because there is, you know, if you expand it to, well, you know, the, the expanded roster for return to play, but it, it, there, each one thread you pull leads to another thread, right? And mm -hmm. so you're right. If Can you have, uh, you know, are, is it an extra four players? Is it, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it really is, it is economic driven, but it's also developmental driven. Uh, developmentally driven as well as you say because now we're two years in a row where young players aren't going to get the kind of development that they would normally get you know their place in the teams you know in their grand plan if you're New Jersey or you know to me especially those seven teams that haven't played since mid-March in terms of right. being able to assess young players and how they fit into their the the plan for the Kings or the Devils or Ottawa or whatever it it, it really is a challenge. And, and, you know, at some point, do they change, modify the rules or change the language to, to acknowledge that this is not a normal situation? I think that's, uh, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be fascinating. So. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that's happening right now is because, you know, more and more details coming out of the league and the PA trying to inch closer to, to a season package and to a season announcement, one of the things that's happening is that the agents for the remaining UFAs that were kind of frozen in time in October uh, are starting to get more phone calls. So I know that, uh, you know, the people for Mike Hoffman, uh, for uh, Mikhail Granlin, for Eric Halla, they're starting suddenly over the last couple of days, their phones are starting to burn up again. And I don't know that there would be a whole lot new there. It would probably more teams just checking back in as to where their, their conversations ended in late October. Uh, but but it is fascinating how this offseason played out. You had this initial push. A lot of guys got signed. A lot of guys got traded. And then it just ended. Everything froze. <laughs> like, like nothing happened uh, for the longest time because uh, a lot of teams were waiting to make sure that A, there would be a season, and that B, they understood some of the transition rules that would potentially impact the cap we know what the cap is going to be, but in terms of the you know expanded rosters and perhaps some rules, I think teams are waiting to find out how all that's going to play out. So I think what you'll see is once we get an official announcement on a season, assuming we get one, uh, there might be a little flurry of moves. You know, maybe not blockbuster type, but certainly things that have sort of been either in the hopper or fifty percent there that might get pushed across the finish line. Both teams. You know, either teams needing to move more cap space. You think of Tampa, Vegas, etc., yep. uh, or some free agent signings. Yep. So, so that'll be an interesting couple of weeks that way. Right. I was just looking at Cap Friendly, our one of my favorite resources for trying to figure out things, and I'm just mm -hmm. gonna do two. They have right now ten NHL teams with a zero projected cap space and uh there are teams that still have roster issues to deal with you mentioned tampa and uh so that that uh, you know again because things if they happen will happen fairly quickly right pierre i mean we're if we're talking right. january 13th um all of suddenly these things the machinery will have to move and, and maybe move uh, fairly quickly once we get through the 
the actual votes. So, right, very good. Well, I, that's why. I mean, I mean, that's why. To be honest, it would have really helped the system if every team had had one compliance buyout that didn't count against the cap. And in fact, that's something the NHLPA brought up when they were discussing different things that they would want in return if they agreed to more salary deferral. And of course, the league said thanks, but no thanks. Because the funny thing about a compliance buyout is that. 31 out of 31 GMs, or at least I'd say 28 out of 31 GMs would have voted yes to a compliance buyout. Right, of course, yeah. But 28 out of 31 owners would have said no. (laughs) (laughs) So you got, you know, we always think about it's the league versus the PA, but sometimes within the same side, there are different objectives. And certainly, you know, so many owners right now are, are, you know, are are cash poor in terms of the NHL revenue. They're not cash poor in real life, but... They're, they haven't made money on their NHL teams in quite a while. They would not want a compliance buyout, which is why the NHL rejected it. But the guys working for them <laughs> who are trying to manage their rosters and have certainly at least one contract, they would want to get rid of scot-free. Uh, of course, not scot-free. It costs money. But it would be scot-free on the cap. Man, I, I can name you a bunch of teams that would have loved that. They'd have jumped at um, that in a heartbeat. Yes. Oh, big time. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, I uh, wonder where we will be at a week from now when we reconvene. But uh, in the interim, you should check out our pal Craig Custance and his fine podcast, The Full 60th The Athletic. Lindsay Arkin, the president of the NHL Coaches Association. Lindsay and I, uh, I, was, I work with her pretty closely on a piece on mentoring uh, women coaches at the NCAA level and NHL coaches. A ton of fun, and she works tirelessly uh, on behalf of the NHL Coaches Association. And Dan Muse, the head coach of USA Hockey's National Team Development Program, and Jeff Blasio, the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, will be joining Craig. That sounds like a full four hours, not just a full 60, but anyway, you should check that out. Um, Also, Jonas Siegel, James Myrtle have a new Leaf report this week with Paul Hendrick, one of the great guys in the game. Thomas Drance and Jeff Patterson have a new van cast this week at The Athletic. And Aaron Portsline and Allison Lucan have a new episode of Front and Nationwide also this week at The Athletic. You should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And by the way, if you subscribe now and save by going to theathletic.com slash two man advantage, and receive two, not one, but two all-access subscriptions for just the price of $1. Pierre, it makes me want to go out and get a couple myself. There you go. You should. You should give them a Christmas, buddy. (laughs) Good idea, my friend. Good idea. But anyway, fine work today, and uh, as always, great to catch up, and we'll do it again next week. Right on, right on.